Good morning. I'm Donna Palmberg. And this morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Luke. Today, we're concluding a mini-sermon series called Amen. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. Or there are little red, there are red Bibles under the seat in front of you if you'd like to use that. I'll be reading Luke 22:54 from the New American Standard Version. Having arrest him, arrested him, Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. A servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him to say, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. When it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled both chiefs, chief priests and scribes. And they led Jesus away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, this picture that you've been staring at during the service is a depiction of Peter in the courtyard as he is uh, weeping bitterly. Um, Three weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Amen, and uh, week one, we learned about this idea of dying to old patterns as a gateway to be able to live to the new things that are available and possible and that God is doing in our lives, and so we called it Die to sort of add action to that, and then the week after that, uh, we talked about what it means to say yes to input and to have a learning disposition throughout life, to be a lifelong 
learner. And week three, we learned last week about acceptance as the door to change. That when we accept someone or even a situation as it is, it actually allows us to be present and start engaging it head on in a way that allows us to experience change and transformation. That acceptance isn't saying, Let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it just the way it is. But it actually is uh, the gateway to change. And uh, today as we conclude the series, what I want to do is talk about this idea of adaptation. That when we are adaptive, we are actually doing all of these three things. We're able to die to old patterns. We're able to say yes to the new and to learning. Our disposition is open and different. And we allow ourselves to square on, come terms with something, to accept something. And it allows us to experience transformation either in the other or in the self. And we're going to call that, call that adaptation. Okay, this is uh, my definition of what the word adapt means. Okay, it means this. It means to function well under duress while maintaining your own integrity. So it's kind of a mouthful, but imagine these words. That you are able under duress and stress and pressure. So life... Imagine you're able, under the situations of life, to function well. But it's not by losing your sense of self. It's not adaptation isn't just being a chameleon. It's not just becoming your environment. It's not saying yes to whoever or whatever is putting the pressure on you. But you're able to function well while maintaining a very strong and solid sense of self. It's what somebody might call self-regulation. It means that you're warm-blooded, that your temperature doesn't just change with the environment, but you maintain your integrity, yourself, while you're able to adapt and thrive in an environment that's filled with duress and stress. Oh, is that confusing for you? Here's a little video to illustrate the point. That's a block of jello, by the way. You always knew you loved jello, but now you know why. Because it's amazing. Did you notice how the jello maintained its integrity while adapting to its environment? So there's a word picture for you jello. That's video of jello bouncing on a heart surface at 6,200 frames per second. Uh, just as a reference point, normal movies about 24 frames a second. So that's a lot of video you just watched in a short time. <clears throat> so we have a picture of this in the passage that Donna uh, Palmberg read for us. We have a uh, picture of Peter, Apostle Peter, one of my favorite characters in the Bible because I relate to him so well. He had a big mouth and he was impetuous and he was just weak sauce all the time. Uh, And we see this captured in verse 56. Uh, We have mentioned that a servant girl or slave girl uh, asks Peter a question. He just crumbles under that kind of situation. It's just a little bit of pressure. And he just loses his complete sense of self. 
And I think this servant girl is, I imagine, a moment that Peter replayed over and over again in his mind. It probably epitomized his life. He just opened his mouth and talked a big game, but really under pressure, he just crumbled. And given who a servant girl was in Peter's time, this must have been quite a memorable moment. And then we have verse 56. We see Peter, he finally can't take it anymore. And he goes out and scripture says he wept bitterly. He completely just loses himself. He disintegrates, unable to maintain his integrity. And there's a lot of pain and anguish captured in those two words, wept bitterly. In contrast, we have Jesus in verse 70. He says the words, I am. Uh, in our translation, it said, yes, I am. In, this, in the Greek, it just says, I am. And it's a significant uh, phrase because this is the divine I am. When God was first revealing himself to Moses, and Moses wants to know, who are you? Who should I say to Pharaoh sent me? And God says, I am. And this is God's name for himself. It's way that he is describing his eternal, non-changing nature. That in any situation, no matter how much pressure, no matter what kind of chaos is going on, no matter who's asking for what, God maintains his integrity. He is never less God. He never needs to be more God. He is fully and absolutely God at any given moment. He is love. He's committed to love. And he is always loving towards us, whether we are lovely or uh, likable or it doesn't matter. God never changes. And so God says, I am to Moses. And here Jesus repeats the phrase. And some scholars would tell you it's these kind of I am phrases that ultimately got Jesus killed. His self-identification with God the Father. And so verse 70, he's being physically beat. He's being tortured. He's been abandoned by all those who swore their allegiance and life to him. And under that kind of physical and emotional duress, Jesus says, I am. He absolutely maintains his integrity. He never compromises. He never loses a single moment of sense of self. So we have Jesus who is able to adapt to his environment. He maintains, he regulates. And here we have, in contrast, Peter who buckles. He spirals out of control. And he eventually weeps bitterly or he disintegrates as a person. And so adaptation, I want to suggest to you, uh, is... uh, central to our life. It matters a great deal that we are able to adapt. But the key to our adaptive ability is maintaining our integrity. Here's a great quote that I came across, and I've uh, scoured the entire internet trying to find out the source of this quote, and nobody knows who made up this quote. It's just out there, and it's beautiful. An entire sea of water can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. Man, isn't that powerful? You can blame your environment, and I can blame the environment, and it's your fault, and I'm innocent, and I'm a victim, and then I come across this quote, 
and I realize, oh my gosh, I want to be the ship that is unsinkable, not because the ocean is perfect, not because there's no threat or power in the ocean, but because I maintain my integrity. And I don't know about this Jesus guy, but I do know he said, I am. And I want to be like him. I want to be able to withstand the pressures of life. Life is duress. How can I maintain my integrity in the midst of duress? I want to be waterproof, bulletproof, titanium. If you don't get that, you're officially not young anymore. (laughs) Anybody know what that is? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, young people and parents of young people. Okay, uh, and really the, the art of what this idea of maintaining our integrity and being able to adapt is really improv. And uh, improv is the art of being able to say and yes to whatever is happening and. It's not saying no. It's not being defensive because you're weak. But it's saying, you know, I'm strong. Therefore, I'm able to say yes. But and. I'm going to add my own integrity to it. Who I am is going to be brought to a bear on this situation. And our, in our church, we happen to have a professional actor who does improv. Uh, so Dave and team, come on up and show us what this whole improv thing is about. Okay, in improv, you need more than one person. So uh, I have to help me, I have Esther Beckman and Kent Lotus and Holly Postma. Uh, The key to improv is to accept what the other person gives you and then to adapt to that and and then build on it to advance the game. And so there are hundreds of improv games, and we're going to do one for you, show you how this works, and we're going to do one called Machine. And in this game, one person starts, and then the other people join in to build a machine. Good job. Good job. Well, I guess Asians won't be doing improv. That took too much beat and rhythm. (laughs) And if you're listening on audio, I can say that because I'm Asian, just so you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so is Esther. Okay, we have uh, three things we'll talk about today. Define self. 
defocus others, and decide action. Now, I want to warn you that uh, the reason we did this series, uh, this four-part series, there, I had two agendas for it. One was I really wanted us to get ready for the fall, and I wanted us as a church to say yes and amen to all the great things God uh, is doing in our church. And so we need a lot of volunteers. We need a lot of great attitudes. We need a lot of adaptability. Uh, We need a strong core as a church as we say yes. And so that's one reason. And another reason is we're going to be starting a 10 to 12-week series that we're going to call Safe and Holy. And I'm going to spend all of that time unpacking these three uh, points that I'm going to go over very briefly today. But I think these points are so clear, even after the introduction and uh, Dave and Gang's great um, uh, demonstration of what improv is. Uh, It's pretty self-explanatory, I think. Already, I think you have a sermon going on in your head. Define self, right? Defocus others and decide action. Okay, so keep in mind that we're going to go through these uh, pretty briskly because we want to get to the baptism uh, sooner rather than later. But look forward to the next, starting next week, 10 to 12 weeks where we unpack this and we really get into the nitty-gritty of what it means to define self, defocus others, and decide action. First, define self. Let's look at verse 61 and 62. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What Jesus had said to Peter and what's repeated for us here in the retelling of this story, uh, some might say it's not fair because if God himself says something is going to happen, then of course it's going to happen. But I want to submit to you that it's not just a prediction of what Peter was going to do, but really it's a description of what was already in Peter's heart. Did, did Jesus read the tea leaves and he just knew that uh, uh, you know, Peter was going to be, deny him three times? Maybe. Of course, that's a possibility. He's God. But I think another uh, real possibility is that Peter was very much known by Jesus. They had spent a lot of time together. And Jesus knew who Peter was and what was inside of Peter's heart. And he knew that Peter spoke allegiance and loyalty loudly, but his actions often betrayed or lagged behind his words. And what happens right here in verse 61, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. It's what I would call a knowing look. And this is, I think, the most penetrating moment in the whole story. That Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him. And Peter does. They're separated by hours. But he does. And at that moment, exactly when Peter denies him for a third time, the rooster crows twice. And across the courtyard, Jesus, bound by his captors, looks over and their eyes meet. And at that moment... What happens? It's Peter, it's Peter who knows now, at that moment of their, that their eyes meet. Peter knows that Jesus knows 
that Peter knows that Jesus knew all along what Peter himself didn't know about himself. You got that? That's called a knowing look. When you know they know that you know that they knew what you didn't know, but they knew all along. You realize that's exactly what's happening here. Everything is out in the light. Oh my gosh, this is who I am. Yes, and this is who I have always been. This denial, this betrayal was always in me. Not only did I just do this, but I was capable of this. Yes, I was provoked by the circumstances, but provocation can only happen if it was already in you. You've been provoked to do something that was already real and true about you. And then Peter says, oh my gosh. He knew all along this was in me. And now he knows that I know. I didn't know, but now I know. Reality about who he is and who he is not. This is the beginning of what we will call integrity. That Peter isn't now who he wants to be or who he thinks he is, but now he is who he is. You do a cross-section of Peter and what's on the outside, what's on a conscious level, is what is on the inside. It's the same. Integrity just means to be the same thing. Now he is the same. He and Jesus know the same thing about him. This is what it means to define self. Is you first have to willing to go through revelatory experiences in life that show you and others around you who you are. I want to suggest to you that you cannot come to know your true self without pain, without suffering, without revelation through the circumstances of your life. And I want to add one more thing. You can't come to know your true self without other people also coming to know your true self. That's part of the pain of it, when the mask gets ripped off. How do you know a ship will sink? Well, you put it on the water. You let the wind blow. You let the waves crash. And you do life in that ship for a while. And you test it over time. And eventually, revelation begins to happen. And not just you as the captain of your own ship, but all your crewmen, crewmates, they come to know. And you have to say yes to that. That's part of the work of God in your life. I had an experience once that was incredibly powerful. I was in Denver with some pastor friends at a pastor's conference. This is years ago. And a pastor friend from California was one of them. And we were uh, in a very intense conversation. He stopped and he said, Peter, you're an insightful person. Tell me everything that you think about me. And I don't know what came over me, but I said, okay. And I started talking. (laughs) And as I started talking, he started weeping. He just started crying. And there was other pastors there at the table. 
And he asked if we could step outside. And we stepped outside into the alleyway of the side of the building. And we just kept talking. I kept talking. I kept saying things and making connections. And, and then he was weeping more and more. We just stood there. And then I started weeping. And we're just weeping together. And I knew that what I was sharing was not safe information. But in Christ, it was safe. It was both safe and holy. And we forged a bond there that will never, I can't imagine ever that, that bond being broken. But it was a condensed experience of what God does in our life when he reveals who we are. Now think about this though. The Bible's word for adaptation and change uh, goes something like this. Repent. Revive, return, remember, restore, return, redeem. You notice something in common with these words? They all start with the letter R. These are re-words, R-E words. And what that means is when God wants to change us, when God wants to show us who we are, he's not wanting us to be other than who he made us to be. What the Bible's basic diagnosis of humanity is, is this. Your problem, the Bible says, is not that you should be something you are not. Your problem is that you are less or other than how God originally made you to be. And so God wants you to repent, revive, return, remember, be restored and return and be redeemed to the original image of God in which you were created. God doesn't want me to not be Peter. My problem is not that I should be somebody else. It's that I'm not being the Peter he originally created me to be. And it's that he wants me to return to the original Peter, the truer self. And so part of the revelation uh, of God in your life will be not you having to be somebody you're not. You striving to be other. But God's saying, no, 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 no. You are currently living out of a false self. And I want you to be who you were meant to be. Return. Let me redeem. Let me restore you. I want you to repent of these false selves that you are acting out of, living out of. You don't like it. He doesn't like it. Why would you hold on to it? And so part of the ripping off of the mess, this revelation of who Peter was, was Jesus saying, Peter, who are you? Who are you really? Who is underneath that false self that caused you to deny me three times? Why do you weep? Why do you experience that pain? It's the pain of dissonance. And I want to show you, and I believe as a follower of Christ, that only God, in Christ, can show us who we truly are. So here is an application question. Who am I? This is the big question God wants you to answer. Who am I? The quote-unquote sin or the habit 
or the personality quirks or areas of just unredemption in your life? Is that really you? Is that who you want to be? Does that resonate as truly who you are? No. You don't like it. You feel the pain of that dissonance. And God says, only I can show you who you are because I made you. I'm the original architect. Okay, second, defocus others. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I love, I love the way Jesus carried about his relationships. I love the way he was such a non-anxious presence in people's lives. Here's this amazing, dramatic thing happening in Peter's life. This is the most pivotal moment of conversion in Peter's life. This is if Peter was converted, this was it. This moment right here. More than when he left uh, his nets and followed Jesus. More than later on when he's able to be rebuked by Paul in public and Peter grows up a little bit. No, this is it right here. This moment of pain. And Jesus isn't physically even there. He looks at Peter. I love that physical distance. It's symbolic to me of how God is such a non-anxious presence in other people's lives. He's not on top of Peter, trying to control it, trying to micromanage the work of God in Peter's life. But he's away, a courtyard's distance away. And I often experience God this way, that he allows me to turn and squirm and pine and struggle and strive. And he has the discipline to allow me to experience revelation for myself. Ah, Oh my goodness, I get it now. It only took 20 years. How is God able to withstand not just yelling in my ear all the time? Because he's patient and he's loving and he's filled with character. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's God. That's why he is God. The Lord turns and looks at Peter. For me, when I think about having to work in people's lives as a pastor, I swing back and forth, just I'm distant or I'm on top of you. It's either my fault and I'm crumbling under the weight of my own guilt and shame, or it's your fault and you owe me and I'm a victim and how dare you. I'm always focused on other people in good or bad ways, but focused on other people. What would it be like if in your life you're able to defocus other people and not make everything their fault? Or you're, you're either messianic or managerial with people. Okay, I'm sorry, we're going to move through that pretty quickly. Here's an application here. Okay, here's are two questions that I think at some point in your life you're going to have to answer for yourself. Because the sooner you answer these questions for yourself, the happier you will be. Okay, the first question is, can you change somebody else? If you don't ask it, you're going to answer it with your life. So you might as well ask it and answer it. Can you change somebody else? And I want to suggest to you that the answer is no. Okay, here's a second question, related question. Can you be motivated for two people? 
And I think the answer is no. You cannot. Somebody has to be willing to hit the ball back if you want to play tennis. And if you want to have a good game, they have to want to play tennis. And if you want to play tennis again, they have to want to play tennis with you. In the meantime, Jesus is patient and he waits a long time for this work of God to happen in Peter's life. He's not trying to change Peter. He allows the work of God to take its course and change Peter. Okay? Third, decide action. Verse 69. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. You notice how Jesus isn't caught up in other people's lives the way we imagine ourselves and us being caught up in their lives if we were the Messiah. But he is caught up in his own trajectory. Jesus is here to accomplish his own mission. And along the way, on the way towards the right hand of the power of God, he loves on people. And he's able to participate in the work that God is already doing in other people's lives. But, and we're going to unpack this later, but even the Messiah himself isn't messianic the way we imagine messiahs to function. But Jesus is doing his own thing. He knows exactly who he is, why he's here, and he moves towards that goal. And in the midst of a physical beating and psychological hardship, he says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. On focus, on mission, on target, never forgetting who he is, never focusing on other people, but focused on God and God's purpose for him. Not even the people that are beating on him. I've learned uh, a few running tricks. I'll be in October uh, running my uh, uh, fifth marathon. Really excited about it. But here's one of the best running tricks I've learned to date. And the trick is this. Just get in a run. Just get it in. It doesn't have to be perfect. The weather doesn't have to be perfect. I don't have to run the miles I set out to run. Not every circumstance can be controlled. I may feel like it. I may not feel like it. My kids, my wife, my job, myself. Ah, so many factors to consider. But if I want to run and I want to do it well, I just have to get in a run. Just get in a run. It doesn't matter. Do half your run. Do a quarter of your run. Do it well. Do it poorly. Do it fast. Do it slow. Just stay on target. And this is the application point here. What can you do in the midst of all that is happening in your life? What can you do? Instead of just talking, instead of having the same conversation with people over and over again, ask the question, what can you do? What's some action you can take, even if it's just a little one? What can you do that's different than what you've not done so far? 
Okay, so he, we have three points. Define self. Who are you? Defocus other people. And decide action. Okay, three Ds. In conclusion, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God, he said yes to our sin and our brokenness. And instead of being victim under it, instead of focusing on it and complaining about it, he asked the question, who am I? He said, I'm God. I'm the son of God. I can be the Messiah. I will be the Messiah. God says, I am the Christ. I will do that. And he comes on mission. He doesn't get entangled in everybody's business. He knows what his mission is, and he takes action. And he keeps walking towards the cross. And he dies, and he says, and he's resurrected. Yes to us. And to the mission. And this is our call as followers of Christ to say yes to our life, to say yes to the relationships, to say yes to family, yes to church, yes to work. And we will adapt. We will defocus others and we will take action following Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we pray for your great presence and work in our lives. We confess before you that we need help. We need you to work, and we don't want to be left alone to our own devices and our own habits and patterns. And in Christ, you have set uh, a great example for us of someone who is able to know exactly who they are, what their mission was, who didn't get entangled and lost in the anxiety and the pressure of all of the people who were cramming up against him. But he took action, and he did the things that only he can do. And today, because of that, we call him Savior. And God, I pray that we'll be able to walk the same path in our life, that we can say yes to our life, and all that it contains, everything from joys to tragedies to sickness to surprises to uh, things that are pleasant and planned and to things that are uh, uh, undesirable and painful. Help us to say yes to that and walk and follow you and thrive and find joy and hope by the power of your spirit, by your presence in our lives. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.